Hey team, Joe here. And today I got to interview my friend, John, who I respect and admire so much. And you are not gonna wanna miss this one because he has so much valuable information to offer you on your mental health journey. But I have to warn you, we got into the deep waters very quickly, and this conversation became very emotionally charged and difficult to have at times. And we discussed topics like sexual assault and violence, so use your discretion while listening. But I also have to tell you that it was such a beautiful exchange of two dudes sharing space to process trauma and difficult emotions together. And there is just not enough dialogue like this happening in the world today. And I think you'll get a lot out of it. So buckle up and stick around. Just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're failing. Remember that. Remember that. Welcome to the Grit, Growth, and Gratitude podcast with Joe Spector where we teach hardworking and growth-oriented people how to maximize their happiness and master their minds and emotions. And now, your host. He's a retired firefighter and mental and emotional fitness teacher. After sustaining a career-ending injury, the loss of multiple loved ones, and a very near miss with suicide, he rebounded his wellness with a vengeance to gain unshakable inner peace and ridiculously unreasonable happiness. This is Joe Spector. Yo, yo. Oh, hey. Hey. Hey, buddy. Uh, hey, buddy. So before we get started on this conversation, will you just share a little bit about who you are and what you do and why you're here? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is John O'Hagan. Joe and I have been friends for uh, a very long time. Um, first and foremost, I'm a dad and um, dad to right now, an eight and a half year old girl named Nora. I am a real estate broker by trade. So I own or co-own with my friend Rochelle, a business called Retro Real Estate, where we focus on historic and mid-century modern properties representing buyers and sellers. I'm super passionate about houses and remodeling old houses and designing them in really fun and funky ways. I'm also a former co-owner of a tattoo shop here in town called Golden Rule Tattoo that I opened with a couple of my friends. And I am a jujitsu black belt, uh, Gracie, Arizona, competing for last 13 or so years. And now uh, reached the black belt level January of 2023. And I don't have any qualifications in the world of like mental health or emotional fitness or anything like that, but I am a longtime therapy attender and I've seen the pros and uh, benefits from everybody in my world that, you know, kind of has prioritized their own mental health. And I've seen the downsides when, you know, people are unable to have access to it in one way or the other. And so I'm pretty passionate about that as well, even though it's not something I do in any sort of professional capacity. Yeah. Speaking of your black belt, I was at the ceremony <laughs> when you got it. It was super awesome. And along those lines, you and I share a passion for people being able to access their emotions, heal from trauma, grow in that way. And particularly from our experience as dudes, there's a big hesitancy for like, I, I think a lot of men think that they're going to lose their edge or their aggression or their toughness. And so I love talking to people like you who literally you're one of the toughest people I know, <laughs> but you have a huge heart and you have no fear of talking about emotions, processing and healing emotions. And that's a big reason why I wanted to have this dialogue with you. We talk about it all the time outside of the podcast. 
And so being somebody who is a basically a badass, I'll say it. I mean, you're a bad motherfucker and you're fearless, but I think there's a lot of bravery and fearlessness that goes into leaning into your emotions. And there's some sort of gap that we need to bridge with conveying that message. And so I was just wondering if you would share your story of like, not necessarily being super emotionally fit, what the catalyst was that got you to kind of work towards these things and then what that experience was like and what life kind of looks like now. Um, when Nora was born, I had like the, literally the best moment of my life juxtaposed against the absolute worst moment of my life. So when Nora was born, it was a really long and arduous labor for Alana and Nora had a brain bleed when she was born. And we met our daughter and she wasn't breathing. And, you know, Nora came out and it was the fucking best moment of my life. Everything, I, I felt like a change. And then, you know, five seconds later, she's pulled away from Alana and she's on a table being, being bagged and hearing, uh, hearing the panic in the doctor's voice while he's bagging my daughter, meaning bagging me, meaning like breathing for her uh, with a, like a plastic apparatus and going, come on kid, come on kid. Like, you know, uh, everything else I think that's like ever happened to you at that point gets turned down and nothing was important anymore because I had fallen in love with this this baby and we didn't know what was happening and they got her uh they got her breathing and her apgar score went up and we thought we had a really scary delivery but everything was okay and then 24 hours later they told us she was having seizures and our daughter was brought Again, out of our hands, um, she had a uh, spinal tap done and placed in the NICU with EKG monitors, like glued to her little head. And I, I, I knew and found out what pain was and what real fear and what real anxiety was and what real love was for the first time. And I knew that I had. You know, if she was going to make it through, um, the, the, we didn't know any of the prognosis was it's going to be. They, they didn't know. They couldn't tell us if she was going to be around for 24 hours, if she was going to live a totally normal life, if she was going to be in a wheelchair, you know, completely dependent on us for, you know, everything. We didn't, we didn't know what, uh, what kind of world that, that our daughter would get to experience and like love. Love in that moment was all I had. And knowing that I had decided that I was going to be a good dad, uh, that, that wasn't enough. I'd have to do the work. And no matter what life looked like for her, that I was going to make sure that I did absolutely everything I could to, to make it the best 
the best that I could for her and, you know, for her and for Alana and that we were in this together no matter what. And I think that was a big catalyst to every decision I make. I really try to view it through the lens of like, is this better or worse for Nora? And, you know, I think I, I fail sometimes, right? I don't take as good care of myself as I should. I don't sleep as well as I should. But everything is about her. She is doing amazing. She's eight and a half years old. She's got some residual things that she struggles with that may or may not be from the birth injury. But she's the most beautiful, beautiful soul and beautiful kid. She is kind and cares about others. We go to therapy. We've got speech therapy twice a week, reading therapy twice a week, physical therapy once a week. Besides that, she lives a totally normal life. She's in you know mainstream school. Uh, she struggles a little bit with academics, but she's so incredible and so kind. And I had to do a lot of work, and I I just had the perfect catalyst to to want to do that. And when you when you know that you have to do everything with love that that bleeds over into other things, you know, and that that helps in a lot of other relationships and that I want to be a good example for her. I don't want her to see me, you know, screaming and losing my temper because the lady at Subway put the cheese slices on the wrong way. Like that's fucking embarrassing. I fucking hated when my parents would lose their shit on people. Like I don't want to be that for my daughter and keeping myself regulated when she's dysregulated is like, I feel like that's my job as a dad. And like, that means I had to do a lot of the internal work and face a lot of the things that were hard for me. So I I said, I've been in and out of therapy a lot, but my most recent, like real deep dive back into therapy to make sure that I'm staying on track. Um, so a big part of my identity is you know, protector and a lot of that comes from, you know, I'm not out getting in bar fights. I'm not in my, you know, twenties anymore. I'm not fist fighting people in the streets, but um, training jujitsu all the time, teaching jujitsu. Like I get to, I get to feel often what my capacity for violence is if things were to happen. Right. Like I, I don't have that, like, I wonder if I still got it thing. Um, And I think that knowing that and the work that I had done and, you know, everything that happened with Nora and, you know, majorly shifting who I wanted to be. And, you know, because of that perfect little girl and everything that she needs me to be, um, I think that's probably the only reason I'm not in prison right now. Um, an event happened. I was Christmas shopping at a, a spot by us. And I walked into the the public bathroom there. And there was an old dude walking out as I was opening the door. So I held the door open for him. And he brushed past me. And I thought it was rude, but... I didn't, it was like, whatever, he's an old guy. Um, I went, used the urinal, and I heard somebody come in, and I didn't think much about it, and finished using the urinal, 
went over to the, to wash my hands and through the mirror, I saw it was the old guy that, that I had let out when I was coming in the bathroom. And I was super confused by that because he was just standing in between, like literally in the middle between the urinal and the sink, looking at me in the mirror. And I was like, maybe this, like, what the fuck? This is so bizarre. He wasn't using the bathroom. He wasn't using the sink. He wasn't using the urinal or the toilets. Like, what the fuck? He's just staring at me. And I looked down and the dude's jerking off. And like everything inside me wanted to just fucking break every bone in this dude's body. And I was so put off by it. Like I could, it felt unreal. It still feels unreal. And I like turned around and I'm like, are you fucking serious? And he's locked in eyes, like defiant, locked in challenging eyes with me. while just go into town. And he just says, yeah. And like everything, fucking thing in my body i wanted to fucking kick him in the chest like bounce him into the urinal and just stomp his head until he was just a bloody pulp and i pictured doing it i pictured smashing the iced tea that i had into his head first kicking his legs out like i had like every vision of just destroying this person it was so fucking gross and violating i never felt in any physical danger of being harmed by him. Like I don't have the experience that unfortunately a lot of like, um, you know, most sexual assault victims have where not only is there the violation and the disgust and the like, you know, betrayal of social norms and the disbelief, but then also realistically the fear of, you know, being hurt on top of just being violated or assaulted. Like, that that wasn't in there for me, but I literally had like everything in me wanted to hurt him. And I like I was fighting with myself. Like I literally had the 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 picture of like stepping on the gas and the brake at the same time on like a fast car. And like that specific, like I felt myself lurching forward and holding myself back and lurching forward and holding myself back. And, um, I'm not a tall man, but I'm a big guy and I'm covered in tattoos. And I like had the, like, if somebody walks in and I'm beating the fuck out of this guy in a toilet, (laughs) like this dude's mid sixties to mid seventies, the least imposing physical specimen figure. If somebody walks in on me hurting him. I don't look like the victim here. And I thought about what life would be like raising Nora from behind a pane of glass and what a fucking failure I would be as a father if I couldn't be there because I let my temper or the need for justice take me away from my daughter. And I walked out and I've... I've made a lot of really difficult choices in my life. I've been divorced twice. I've burned down a lot of friendships. I've made really difficult business decisions that hurt people, but I've never struggled so much making the right decision before. And I emotionally and intellectually, and I know, I know it was the right decision not to murder that man. 
and I made the choice between leaving, knowing I could feel, I could feel the fucking trauma like setting into my bones, walking away from that instead of just hurting him really, really badly. I knew that I knew that it would hurt me so much worse to walk away and that it would be worse for the world, like a net negative for the world to let him walk out of that bathroom. But I had to subjugate my own sense of justice and the fear of being locked away from my daughter, the most important person in the world, as far as I'm concerned. And that internal struggle was such a breach of boundaries and my own moral compass that it really, really, really fucked me up. I had major identity crisis. I had super self-questioning. Do I really still have it? If I, if I can't protect myself, can I protect my family? And like cutting to the core of who I am, I am somebody who will protect. And I felt a lot of mix of emotions after that. And I was really, really struggling. I was much less present in my current relationship. I was short-tempered. I didn't know if I could believe in myself. I didn't know if if that meant because I didn't just fucking take care of this person and and dispatch them and end it really quickly. If that meant that, you know, if Ashley and Nora and I were somewhere, if I would hesitate, you know, and I've never hesitated when I've needed to, when it comes time to fucking throw, I was always able to go, you know, like there's just, that was a thing that I just never worried about. And feeling that come up so poignantly and so raw and I couldn't, I couldn't fucking sleep. I, the, this motherfu- I couldn't have sex with my partner without this fucking dude's face showing up. Like it deeply scorched my sense of self and it, like, Yes, what he did, but more so the fact that I didn't just fucking take care of it. Like the mental wounds that I incurred because I couldn't just take care of it without the fear of outside forces putting me behind bars was really, really rough. And I think I was just so fucking over capacity with work and dealing with that and relationship strife. And one day I was really frustrated and Nora was in her room and I think I was arguing with Ashley or actually don't even think I was arguing with Ashley, but I, I was ranting about something and like three things in a row happened, like just three little things. And I just screamed like, fuck at the top of my lungs, like fists clenched, like just, just primal fucking scream. So I just, was so far past my breaking point and trying to keep it together. And I turned around and fucking Nora was like eight feet away from me. I hadn't heard her come out of her room. And I scared the shit out of her. And she just instantly ran to Ashley and gave her a huge hug. And like, I don't know, man, I, I don't think I've ever felt like I've disappointed a lot of people in my life, usually on purpose and usually defiantly and usually 
like with my head held high because I felt it was the right thing to do. I don't give a shit about other people's expectations of me if they're in conflict with my own. But I'm not used to disappointing myself and, man, disappointing your child. That was about the lowest that I've ever been. That's like the second worst moment of my life. And I knew I just had, I, I got some fucking help. I can't, I can't give up on this. I can't go back to my old ways and old programming that doesn't serve me anymore. And I've got a responsibility to be a better dad than this. And I reached out to a friend that I have that owns a mental health clinic. I said, Hey, I need some help and I need a referral to somebody I can talk to. And, um, and I need it now. And I'm considering myself so lucky because that was accessible to me. And I hate that there are so many others that don't, that are in far worse shape and don't have the financial means to get some kind of help. And that's like, that's why I think I am so passionate about sharing and encouraging friends to, if they're able to, to get help. And then, you know, the moment you told me about the project that you're doing, it's like, I'm fucking in whatever you need for me. Like, I'm so proud of you and so inspired by your commitment to helping other people get better. Cause those low moments, man, that it, it feels fucking hopeless. And we just don't, we don't talk about it as dudes and we don't, we don't talk about it until it's past our breaking point. And I tried to take everything on myself and I just was so, I just couldn't. And yeah, I mean, that's, I've been two hours a week in therapy religiously because I'll never forget the way Nora looked when I fucking scared her. Having your own child be afraid of you. I can't, I just, I can't the second worst moment of my life. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with me. Um, and with anybody who's listening, um, that was a lot. Um, I'm so sorry for everything you experienced. I kind of want to go back to what you went through with Nora, um, when she was born. I, I can't, I can't even, I can't even imagine what that was like. And, um, I I don't want to, but I mean, (laughs) I don't want to even try to pretend to sympathize, I sympathize or empathize, but I don't want to overstep. I just, I really appreciate you opening your heart up and sharing that experience. It was so visceral. It was making my heart race. And, and I'm really sorry that guy traumatized you. I've, um, for you to experience trauma and be, be victimized like that. I'm so sorry you went through all of that and, um, to, to share it with me and, and to, to be vulnerable and authentic and cry. And I, I was on mute, but I was bald that whole time too. Um, there's a lot of, we don't cry as dudes. We don't talk about the trauma. We don't talk about the pain and we don't cry. And that's kind of part of my project here. I, I wasn't in, anticipating this. I didn't realize how deep we were going to get and how much pain there was going to be exchanged, but I don't take it lightly. I think that's very painful, but very beautiful too, to to turn that pain into catharsis by sharing with each other and, and sitting in it with each other and 
expressing these emotions and there's therapy in the purging of the tears and getting it off of our chest and feeling it. And I know you didn't have it modeled to you growing up, neither did I. Nobody did this for me. You know what I mean? No, Nobody. Yeah. And I have so much pain and trauma stored up too. I mean, I don't, we don't compare trauma, but different type of trauma from yeah. the fire department and from my daughter and from all this stuff. Like we have so much trauma and to be able to sit with each other and share it and talk about it in a safe way and be vulnerable. I'm just really, uh, I'm really grateful that you, you, you explained all that and that you shared all that and that you, we exchanged those emotions just now. So I'm, I'm very proud of you. I wonder every time I try to question you on something, you've already like thought about every different angle. So I hesitate to even <laughs> ask, um, but I'm going to anyways, especially when it comes to your mental health and stuff, you, you, you know, you're very analytical and you're very intelligent and emotionally intelligent, but like, it feels to me like if I understood what you were saying properly, like you had guilt or shame or embarrassment or questioning yourself over not engaging in the battle with yeah. that guy. But it feels to me like that sounded like you were saying like, could I or should I? And I, I failed to do it. But that wasn't the gas in the break to me was you doing the bravest, most badass warrior shit you can possibly do, which is when you're justified and capable of doing violence, refraining from doing so because it is the right thing to do. Not that it would have been wrong to stop that guy from assaulting other people, but it would have been wrong for you to go to prison and not be able to parent Nora and all that stuff. Yeah. So it that, felt like it was, it didn't feel like a failure or a hesitancy. It felt like quite the opposite. Like you tapped deep into your, uh, your love and you overrode the thing that you're most comfortable with, with which is the violence. So I, I was a little bit, I understand the primal thing that comes from it because I've sat down and been punked out too and, and not even in close to a situation like that and absolutely hated myself for it. But I just, was I understanding what you were saying properly on that? Yeah. So it's a, it's a really bizarre thing to um, explain because I think I don't have a moral judgment against violence. Like I think violence is a tool. Um, it's not always the right tool for the job, but um, it is simply a tool, right? So I, I am like morally, like I feel amoral about violence. I think it is situational. Um, so my 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 struggle in in that particular moment was it feels like, and my moral compass says the right thing to do in that situation is to use violence to stop somebody who is assaulting me, who is trying to victimize me, trying to dominate me. And that is a net positive for the world because that he doesn't do that anymore. Like I said, there was a years long trial. Uh, he wound up getting put on the sex offender list. I had, it was a long experience of getting like continually re-traumatized about the whole event. I mean, like I had, he hired lawyers that like went through my Facebook page and like determined that I, yeah, yeah. Like they basically said that I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between somebody using a urinal and somebody masturbating, trying to sexually assault me. Um, like a psychologist, literally like, like his lawyers hired a psychologist who read through my Facebook post and, and determined that with like zero, obviously zero, <laughs> evidence but like it was a really traumatizing experience but the, the, all is that that is to say that yeah my my issue wasn't the personal like thing that was eating at me was 
knowing, right? And this is that, that human experience to call back to of like knowing because the consequences would be too much to bear, right? I wouldn't want my daughter to have to bear the brunt of, of living in a world without me so that I could do the right thing. I had to do the wrong thing in the moment so that a bad thing didn't happen to me. So I had to like sub subvert my own moral compass and like punk myself out because there's nothing stopping me. He's a feeble old man. I can't think of a, any situation in there that he, that I couldn't have done whatever I wanted to. Right. But I had to subvert my own sense of, of justice and agency and autonomy in that situation to the state. Right. I see. So I had to deal with the cops coming. I did for first I had to deal with the security there saying they weren't going to do anything. And when he was talking to them, she told him, I believe you. I know that you didn't do anything to him. Okay. Then the cops came and said that it was a he said, he said situation. So they couldn't do anything. And I was like, you mean he did this? You're saying I can't prove it. And so you're not going to arrest him. You're not going to press charges or anything. And they're like, it's basically because all we can, you know, he said he was, he was not doing that. And you say he was, and I'm like, okay. And they're like, okay. And I'm like, okay, well then when you guys leave, we'll have another meeting in the bathroom. And I've tried to do the right thing by bringing it to you guys, but that's fine. Cause that'll be a, he said, he said as well. And they were like, uh, no, no. And I'm like, I'm like, what did his record look like? And the cops like, what do you mean? I'm like, do I look like somebody's first victim? Like, do I, do I look like you would pick me if you were going to start masturbating at people in a public bathroom? And like, we didn't run his record. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, okay. So if you, I'm like, when you run his record, when this has happened before, will you arrest him then? And he had totally had them fooled that he was just some confused old guy. And they went and ran his record and they came fucking flying around the corner. But the whole time, everybody's walking by me at this busy shopping center around Christmas, looking at like, what did this kid do to this poor old yeah. man? And so it's just like grade school all over again where somebody else yeah. started a problem, but I'm the troubled kid. So I'm always, it's oh. always my fault. It was layers dude, to this trauma, dude. Yeah. Layers and layers and layers. And hearing that in court and hearing yeah. like, all this shit in court and then basically trying to like, like say that I was going there for that, but also that it didn't happen and he never did it. Like it was fucking nuts, dude. But he had a huge long record of doing this. He had really like really fucked some people up. Uh, and, um, always large athletic men in like steam rooms and bathrooms at like gyms and places like this. And so the cops, when they ran his record, came around and fucking, they're like, yo, get on the ground right now. Like they fully, like that felt fucking validating. Thankfully they fucking like grabbed him and arrested the fuck out of him. And like, but it's like, if I hadn't pushed for that, it would have been another thing of just like nobody believing me, me being unheard and like just, but it was just fucking sitting in my bones, like not getting to just just destroy this dude. And like, yeah. I honestly feel like if I was able to do that and I would have gotten away, right. Like if it had just been a, some fucking five minute mystery on the news of whether it was a bloody old man in a bathroom and no, you know, like thankfully I didn't because there are fucking cameras everywhere um, that showed him like leaving the bathroom, grabbing himself and then running back, basically running back inside the bathroom to do it. You know, like I did the right thing. I know that, but 
it broke me to do it. Yeah. It really, yeah. it really did. Mm. Man, I'm sorry. Um, I think I want to kind of round this out if you're okay with that. Yeah, yeah. I think we, we, we definitely pulled what we <laughs> needed to and came out here to do for sure. I wasn't expecting that and it was terribly painful in a beautiful way. And I appreciate um, you holding the space for it. And I, I, I wouldn't have done that if I didn't think that that could, you know, be something that someone else can see I and mean, sharing one of the worst, literally my top two worst moments of my life and still being here and still wanted to turn that into something that helps others. Like if that wasn't in line with what this project is that you're doing, you know, it is yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I, I'm so thankful that you so generously shared your trauma and your emotions like that, because I don't take it lightly. We're doing it so that hopefully we can encourage other people to reach out and get the help they need, whether that's sharing with a friend like this, reaching out to me, getting in therapy, whatever their healing journey looks like, but just normalizing and removing the stigma yeah. from people having to internalize these things or feel like something is wrong with them because they're not okay or waiting until they hit a tipping point yeah. or their family has suffered major collateral damage before they tap in and access emotional therapy and healing and things of that nature. And so I think we're just kind of getting into the trenches with it because these conversations need to start somewhere. And I'm really thankful to be part of it and that you're willing to engage in that too, man. Yeah. And I want to, I'll, I'll add one more thing to that. Like, I appreciate all that you said, like Nora doesn't remember that. She doesn't have a memory of me screaming and me like just like howling at the moon in pure rage and scaring the shit out of her that she doesn't remember it. I've talked to her about it and apologized to her about it and she doesn't remember it, but it was enough to get me acting, you know, like it was enough to get me to, to ask for the help I needed. And like, man, if that doesn't tell us, like, it's literally like almost never too late, like, you know, everybody makes mistakes in parenting. I have no doubt that that will be the last time that I scream in rage, like, and just I'm over capacity, but like, I want to build, you know, you hopefully build in enough good things that any of those bad things are, are blips and you can recover from them. And, you know, it's not too late. You don't have to always be the screaming parent just because you were the screaming parent or, you know, if you have somebody in your life that's still talking to you, there's, there's, there's space to recover and like remend those if you do the work. Like, and that's, that's been really helpful for me to let know. It's not just like give up cause it's not perfect. It's like, no, there's, there's still a chance. It's never too late to be redeemable. It's never too late to step into a different changed growing version of yourself. It's never too late. Sometimes it's too late to make amends with other people depending totally. on circumstances, but quite a few times it's it's not beyond repair or too late. And it's never too late for you to work on healing and repair and recovery. And I guess I wonder what what would you that might be your final thought, but what what would you say to anybody who's listening who I mean, you, you have a good quote. I was wondering if you could share it with me about a, a pain. But yeah, could, could you our our mutual friend David actually like I don't know where he got it. I've Googled it a bunch of times and I, I can't find a source for it. So I don't know if it's a David original or we're not giving him credit. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um somebody smarter had to have said it. For no, sure. <laughs> for sure. Um but we were having a conversation um around avoiding things and um he said that pain of paid avoidance accrues interest. Right. And I think like that is 
you know, defendable both grammatically and also like anecdotally. Like I, I, if you have something that you are not facing, it literally only gets bigger and only gets bigger and it will show up. Like we try to, especially as men, we try to bear the brunt of everything. There's not really like a socially acceptable like way for us to like have these conversations. And I think there are, there are many people pushing for that, right? Like I think this project is a huge portion of that, of normalizing it. And there, there really needs to be those spaces for us because if, we, if we're avoiding looking at something, it only gets bigger and it's going to come out in ways that are way worse further down the line. And like, I, I think about that because everybody has the impulse for comfort, right? Like it's easier to just compartmentalize, not face it, just don't worry about it, just ignore it and just avoid it. But man, that shit always comes fucking knocking. It never goes away. Like you keep slamming doors, but it's going to kick them down. With your mind and with your emotions, it holds true that what you resist persists and avoiding it is resistant. We've all experienced embarrassment, shame, pain, trauma. If you've lived a couple of decades on this planet and you've had relationships and kids and work, you have had some challenging experiences and some difficult emotions and it doesn't go away on its own. And if you avoid it, it will definitely grow and persist and it will either manifest itself in you having less happiness and joy than you could be experiencing, or you having depression, anxiety, addiction, or you being angry at your family. There's a million ways to slice that up and it's different for everybody. But the commonality of it is it doesn't go away on its own. And we need to access emotional awareness and emotional processing, whatever that looks like for you or the individuals. But we need to normalize the process of doing it. It's part of the human experience. There's no way around it. Yeah. We all have the emotions. There's no, there's no, nobody's immune from it, you know? Yeah. None of us get to avoid pain. There is no, there's no, there's no life that, that, you know, is left unscuffed. A hundred percent. Is there anything that we didn't touch on here today that you'd like to share or that you'd like to get out of the interview or you'd like to express, or were we able to hit everything? Um, I can't think of anything. Um, think final thoughts just being like, I'm really proud of you for taking on a project like this. I know that it is so far out of your comfort zone. You're not a social media guy. You're not somebody who's ever felt comfortable putting themselves out there. And um, as somebody who's known you basically our whole lives, uh, I think it is so admirable to do something for others born of such intense pain and such heartache that you and your family endured. Um, and I, I want to say thank you for holding the space for me to talk about my experience and having me on here. And the content that you're sharing is, you know, almost all of it's fucking free and it's really just completely born from wanting to help others and seeing that there's this big hole for those of us don't know how to deal with some of the things that come up and you're literally just dedicated your life and went way out of your comfort zone to do something really special and really helpful and for the greater good. And, um, thank you. And, and I'm proud of you. Boy, I'm so proud of you too. And I admire you so much too. And those words mean so much and, um, your support on this project and, you know, I'll leave you with this. I was reading a meme the other day, uh, doing my little social media research, and I'm going to probably misquote it, but it was like, I want to be the type of dad that when my kids are in trouble, when my daughter's in trouble, instead of saying like, oh man, dad can't find out. It's like, oh shit, I better call dad. And I was thinking, you know, everybody on here is commenting that they want to be that dad, right? But how do you get to be that dad? It's on the day to day 
with not bullying your kid, not just dishing out punishment, but listening empathetically, making sacrifices, uh, gaining influence by loving them so hard and, you know, teaching them to value and accept themselves. And you're one of those dads. You're doing that, dude. So I'm so proud of you. And you're earning it. It's something you can't force it into your kid. It's influence. It's a, it's a privilege that you earn and not many of us do it. And I watch you do it. You're, you're that, you're that dad. You experience that privilege of Nora being like, shit, I better call dad. And you sure have earned that dude. I really hope so. And that's, yeah, we, we're not owed a relationship with our children. We have to earn it every day. And I, man, I got a lot of jobs. I've had a lot of careers and that's the only one that like I'll do forever is hopefully just every day earn a relationship with her so I can be her dad. I love it. Thank you so much. I love you. Love you too, man. I hope you got a lot out of that interview and that it helped you in your healing journey. If you ever need anything related to real estate, I guarantee you there's nobody who will advocate harder for you or who's more fun to learn from than John O'Hagan. So connect with him at retrorealestate.com or phxjohn on Instagram. I'll leave links in the show notes. Other than that, thank you so much for listening. Stay calm and stay strong. Peace. Thanks for listening. This has been Grit, Growth, and Gratitude with Joe Spector, your source for mental and emotional fitness. Just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're failing. Remember that. <laughs>